The theory of indivisibility is about, you know, the communication framework of alternate dialogue. And, you know, I wish there was currently uh, a context for, a place for people and community that have varying viewpoints because of the ways that we were raised and our differences in culture and the things that we learn to come together, to listen to one another, to understand one another. Instead of consistently having, you know, folks get upset, like what, you know, Sarah's post, how she lost, you know, followers and clients due to her honoring pride in Juneteenth. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. We live during a time when divisiveness and polarization dominate the social, economic, and political discourse. In response to this reality and empowered with the skills of authentic dialogue and systems thinking, Dr. Sunjata Sunjata created an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability called Theory of Indivisibility to help illuminate a different path forward. Our hope is that these conversations and calls to action will ignite tolerance and empathy and provide guidance for our global listeners who want to actively engage in ending all forms of oppression while creating thriving relationships in the workplace and beyond. I'm Mariella Marie. Let's grow dialogue. All right. So I'd like to start off our session with some food for thought, if that's all right. Spoken by the late, great James Baldwin. May he rest in peace and power. You think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world. But then you read. Today we'll be contemplating on some of the social unrest that's snowballing across medias. We've selected headlines that we see percolating in the media as well as social commentary circulating on various social media platforms. And I'd love to take the next few minutes to bring both highly charged and opposing viewpoints to the center of our dialogue as we search for liberation individually and collectively. So I'm going to read a few headlines and social posts for you and our listeners to digest and reflect on. And after I read through each headline or social post, I would love to hear your thoughts on the following. Firstly, which tools of oppression are being used to uphold these viewpoints? And on the flip side, as folks are flooded with this sort of duality, polarization, and disheartening content on their socials and in their inboxes, I want to have you comment on this second piece here. As we search for liberation in the eye of the storm, I'd love for you to share which tools of indivisibility can be used to harness this social unrest and hopefully transform it into liberation. So we got three topics we're going to unravel here in the next couple minutes. So let's start with women's rights in the United States and how that potentially sets a tone for other countries to follow suit or not. This comes from the BBC News. In Ireland, my personal hope for the future is that we too will one day reverse the legislation. I think the movement in the U.S. has been very wise. This brings a lot of hope and the battle goes on. This is from Bernie Smith, one of Northern Ireland's most prominent anti-abortion campaigners. On the other side, we have India. The U.S. is generally a model for the world. And I fear at some point, India could take a cue from them and bring in a similar legislation. And we will be forced to raise children we don't want. Now, I'm going to bring it to the U.S., and then I'm going to ask for your, your reflection, all right? So I went, we went to Ireland, we went to India, now we're going to come into the U.S., and this is from msn.com. Uh, 
Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said that he is making June 24th an annual holiday for his office. He says that the Supreme Court just overruled Roe and Casey, ending one of the most morally and legally corrupt eras in the U.S. history. Praise the Lord. Abortion is now illegal in Texas, Paxson tweeted. And today I'm closing my office and making it an annual holiday as a memorial to the 70 million lives lost because of abortion. He also issued an advisory Friday saying some district attorneys may choose to immediately pursue criminal prosecutions, even though it's unclear if pre-row bans instantly came into effect. Which tools of oppression are being used to uphold these viewpoints? Sure. Um, thanks for teeing us up, Mariella. Um, and I'll I'll share with our listeners when you mentioned tools of oppression, you're referring to my theory of indivisibility framework. And um, for those of you who've never viewed it, uh, you can, well, you'll notice if you do go to view it, and we'll include a link in the show notes, that you'll see that I have a list of tools of oppression, and then also have a, t- a list of tools of indivisibility. So the first thing that I'd like to say about that is that in terms of the tools of oppression that I see, um, I definitely see power over and control. Um, I see, and I also see moral judgment and I see laws. And this is some really, depending on your lens, depending on what you're bringing to listening to this podcast, you know, you may be looking and hearing this and saying, Okay, power over and control. Hmm. Okay, moral judgment. Okay, but laws. How can laws be a t- oppressive? It's a lot to unpack. We don't have necessarily enough time to unpack it all here, but I want to touch on them briefly. Um, and the first thing I want to say. Well, let me say this. Another tool of oppression here that's at play is debate. When we talk about the communication framework that this issue is currently being um, you know, communicated about in the general mass media as well as social media. And in most contexts, people are debating this. So right from the jump, my theory of indivisibility holds that authentic dialogue is a communication framework um, that we should use instead of debate if the goal is liberation, you know, and if the goal is, you know, one nation. I'm going to use. I'm going to use this term, as you all know, as Americans. Um, this, this, I guess, this phrase, this statement, this stanza from our Pledge of Allegiance, which is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So I want to start there because I wanted to try to tease out some common ground. Um, you know, for us to to have this 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 dialogue uh, from. Because if you're like me, you grew up you grew up putting your right hand over your heart every day when you went to school and saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And this country was built on these, uh, let's say, statements of value. And the Pledge of Allegiance was one of them. And it's literally the root. What I just said to you all is the root of my theory of indivisibility. It inspired the theory of indivisibility. I think very deeply about how we can live to those norms, those values of one nation under God, whoever you believe God to be or not be, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So with that being said, when I think about the tools of oppression, Mariella, again, power over and control. With the 
idea around abortion, even though Roe versus Wade doesn't necessarily uh, ban abortion, what it does is it puts the decision in the hands of each state. So that has created a lot of fear because a lot of states are indeed banning and making it criminal to have abortions. Um, So that's where fear comes in, obviously, for a lot of people. Um, So but the power over and control element is that you have lawmakers um, making these decisions. These. Oh, and I forgot. Standardization is also one of the, the tools of oppression. They're making these decisions based on a standardized belief that should apply to a lot of people who have very nuanced and individualized situations that, you know, are being considered when a decision like this is being made. Uh, And whenever you um, so that that's where power over and control, fear and standardization come in. But the power over and control piece is very clear around, again, lawmakers making the decision and then holding people accountable to that decision and penalizing them um, when they don't, you know, meet this the meet that um or if they let's say they break the law uh in order to let's say have an abortion if we're speaking directly to that you know when we talk about moral judgment there's a lot of moral judgment uh, around the decision to have an abortion where a lot of people feel that it is a moral um it is a moral decision and they believe and there's a lot of judgment around morality and believing that if someone has an abortion and they're morally corrupt in a lot of ways um and to con to contrast moral judgment, um, I would say again, I look at on my tools of indivisibility side. There's agency. Uh, there's also uh, consent. So you know, within the realm of agency and consent, that is honoring the individual and honoring the individual's choice to know what is right for themselves and giving them the right to consent to anything that they want to do or not do with their bodies. Um, so I'll say that. Uh, as well as liberation as being a tool of indivisibility. And again, liberation, which is a part of our that that pledge of allegiance, that declaration of who we are to be to, for one another as a country in this here United States of America. Um, I feel like, you know, obviously liberty is in there. So is it, you know, is it liberty telling someone that they can't make that decision for themselves? For me, it's not. And then also when I look at um, power over and control, well, what's the opposite of that? Well, it's power with and collaboration. You know, it's working with individuals to, you know, uh, instead of making these standardized decisions that everyone has to abide by, uh, it's collaborating with people to understand what their individual needs are and then creating the the, the frameworks, the, found, the structures for them to, you know, do what they need to do to honor what liberty and justice for them looks like. If someone is making a decision or doesn't have the agency to make a decision for themselves um, in, in, in terms of you know having an abortion, not even getting into all of the reasons that people choose to have one, um, I don't think that's necessary if we honor power with and collaboration, if we honor agency, if we honor consent. We don't have to get into the weeds of you know, how many weeks is considered, you know, a, a feed is considered a living person and their rights, etc. None of those things, literally the nuance of those things should not have to be written into law if we're literally abiding by what our national statements of values are. And, you know, so those are the things that come to play for me. And then the last thing I want to say uh, is that I empathize with both sides or all sides. 
I understand the people who are, let's say, pro-life, who are against abortion. I, I believe their intentions are pure. I believe that they truly, you know, um, their their intentions are, pu- are pure and their hearts are in the right place. And in terms of what their fears may be and their, you know, what their beliefs are. And I believe they're valid. I believe they're valid for them as individuals. But what I believe they over, where I believe they overstep is when they try to enforce their personal beliefs onto others. And to me, that is the antithesis. That is the complete opposite of, you know, liberty and justice for all and one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. The moment that you take your personal beliefs and then start pointing outwards to others and judging them morally if they don't abide by your personal beliefs um, is an overstep and it's out of alignment with, with the country and the nation's stated values. So for me, it's really a clear cut, clear cut thing in terms of how we can move in a direction to bring us together and be indivisible. We do not, our beliefs do not have to be at odds. You know, if you're pro-life, you can have that belief. If you're pro-choice, you can have that belief. And we can be indivisible if we simply respected each other's beliefs. But it's when we try to enforce our beliefs on others that we become divided. And I'll stop there. We want you to keep going. So um, (laughs) (laughs) make sure (laughs) you said a lot and it's good, though. I'm going to just invite our listeners to join our community to continue to unpack all the beautiful things that Sunjata just unleashed um, for us to chew on. And, you know, if you're curious on, you know, how do I even start to have conversations like this in my own mind or with my family or in my community? Um, again, join the Grow Dialogue community and, and we're happy to, to support um, and also, you know, share our challenges as well. Um, something that sticks out, I love that here under Tools of Oppression, you put the illusion of freedom. You're not empowering them to decide what they want to do with their body. Um, so this, this illusion of freedom really stuck out to me under your Tools of Oppression. Again, we're going to add this in the show notes so people can also reflect um, on how Sujata has beautifully written down Tools of Oppression and also the Tools of Indivisibility that he's been um, speaking to. And if you notice, I did say in the beginning, you know, how this this that is happening in the States is affecting the world. Um, and I would just love to hear you comment on that and, and see, you know, what that means for you. Um, because I know that the theory of indivisibility came from the Pledge of Allegiance, um, you know, from, from a poem that was written to help people identify with being from the United States. And then, you know, we hear people in Ireland and in India and in South America and different places in the, in the world seeing what's happening in the States. Um, what do you see? What, what's the potential there for, for folks to practice tools of indivisibility and, and not go, not revert to tools of oppression? My goodness. I'm so glad you brought to the forefront the illusion of freedom, because that is definitely one of the tools of oppression that's evident within, you know, um, what's happening right now. You know, we, we, we stand in front of the world on this global stage. We have this positioning of a global power. Um, and we say that our country is founded on freedom and we have a statue of liberty and all these things that represent liberty, liberation, freedom. But then we have lawmakers telling people what they can and can't do with their bodies. So it's, that's why I put that illusion of freedom, because there's a um, it's almost like a gaslighting in a sense that we're about freedom, we're about freedom, we're about freedom, but not in this case, not in this case, not in this case. So there's that illusion. So with that being said, yes, you know, we have these other nations looking to us 
for guidance and leadership because that's been the place of this country for so long uh, within modern times, you know, for hundreds of years now. You know, it's a um, it speaks to how powerful, you know, the, the language of the charter of this country, you know, the uh, the the Declaration of Independence, uh, the Constitution, um, the Bill of Rights, you know, again, the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, all these 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 elements of who we are as a country that were rooted in liberation and freedom that inspired people across the world to continue to shift their lens towards liberation. Um, and, and freedom, you know, and democracy, which is, you know, by the people, for the people, giving people power and choice and all these various things have been so inspiring to so many for hundreds of years now. And, you know, and all their flaws, I have to give the founding fathers of this um, this country, and I say that loosely because that's what they're known as, but I want to also acknowledge that, you know, this land was taken uh, by force and by manipulation uh, from the indigenous peoples that already resided here. Uh, so there was a lot of, um, you know, through the, through the colonization process, there was a lot of, you know, oppression um, and, and harm, you know, done uh, to create those charters that people now look to. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and hypocrisy and there's a lot of, um, you know, cognitive dissonance within all of this that we're talking about in terms of the the values of this country was founded on in terms of it being liberty and freedom and all these things. But also it was built on the fact that this land was taken from, you know, the indigenous people that were here. And this land was built by the, on the backs of, and through the, through the labor of, you know, um, the unpaid labor, the enslaved labor of people of African descent. Um, So it's, 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 yeah, it's complex. While at the same time, we have to acknowledge the history of those complexities and hypocrisies, it also gave us language from which to to create the systems um, and the tools that I use of indivisibility um, so that we can we can do better going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you've got lots more to say on that. These next two topics that we're going to dive into Pride and Juneteenth. Um, are strategically um, highlighted during a certain month of the year, which is June. This episode will probably be aired after June, but, you know, in my um, quest on making these things, you know, every day instead of just highlighting it for a month, you know, the celebration of Pride um, and also Juneteenth that we'll get into a little bit uh, later. Um, I want to I want to bring up this topic here. So thank a straight person today for your existence. And it says straight pride. And the comment below says, as much as LGBTQ plus gets to have their pride, I'm allowed to stand with mine as well. If you can shove your pride down people's throats, I have every right to speak on mine. It's time people stand up for themselves, even if it means standing alone. Hashtag heterosexual pride. Hashtag straight pride, hashtag rights to my own opinions. You know, when I read something like this, it's rooted in ignorance in the sense that it's just a lack of understanding because, you know, LGBTQ plus people have babies all the time. You know, so whenever I read something like thank a straight person today for your existence, that statement basically is saying that only straight people have babies, quote unquote, straight people. What they mean is, you know, what heterosexual people have babies. It's rooted in ignorance because 
throughout time, people who are who fall on the spectrum of LGBTQ plus have had babies and have children and continue to have babies and children. So there's a level of ignorance there talking about straight pride. For whatever reason, there's people who hold tightly to their 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 beliefs and their values and their norms that they grew up with. Their worldview is rooted in so much security and comfort because the people who gave it to them have been held up on pedestals, whether it be a parent, you know, a mentor, a preacher, you know, a teacher, you know, uh, someone famous, an actor, a rapper who had these views and opinions that people have held on a pedestal. They don't want to go against that. And there's other people, for whatever reason, that are willing to continue to, you know, interrogate and audit their beliefs. And I consider myself as one of those people that have always been willing to audit my beliefs and have been willing to change my beliefs as I got new information. New information from my environment, new information from what I can see in the world, new information from science, new information from just talking to another human being that told me their truth, even if their truth didn't exist in any book or in any institution, but I saw a human being state their truth and me saying, I trust you, I believe you, I understand you. There's a, there's an element of, of a segment of the population who are willing to show up in that way as well. So I empathize with those who haven't been able to because they have certain fears that hold them back from doing so. Uh, I don't think their intention is purely to cause harm. I think their intention is to create psychological safety for themselves and to not experience the pain of the cognitive dissonance that happens when you have to face the things you've held true for so long and make the decision that you're going to make a new decision and change your beliefs. Some people aren't ready to confront that fear or that pain, that cognitive dissonance was just the pain. And all I can say is that, again, I empathize. So from there, the tools of oppression that I see that are being held up within statements and beliefs like that are moral judgment, competition. I want to talk about competition because I was going to say that, you know, I see a pattern when a, let's say a certain belief that's been held for so long that's rooted in privilege is begins to get challenged and overturned in the social norms and society as a whole has embraced a new way. The group or the belief that is now being challenged and asked to shift, it's as if they're losing something. Instead of them feeling like it's just adding to, you know, their 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 worldview and adding to the culture, they feel like they're losing something. They feel like they're in competition with this newly held, you know, statement of belief that this the society and culture is moving towards. You know, I see it so often. I see it when you know, people of European descent, especially males of European descent, are asked to shift their worldview and, and, and you know, with, let's say, movements around um, speaking about white privilege, um, movements around ideas like diversity, equity, inclusion, where we're asking people who've been held up as the, the standard, as a default, to make room for diversity. You know, or let's just say men in general asking them to make room for allowing women to have a seat at the table. 
you know, and when I gave the example of people of, of European descent, especially men, you know, making room for other ethnicities to have a seat at the table in terms of power and decision making and morality and all these various things. Um, I see this pattern where it feels like competition. It feels like they're losing something. So they have to fight back. And now there's a segment of people who are heterosexual who feel like LGBTQ plus people are taking away from them in some way. So they fight back with statements and memes like this uh, that are rooted in ignorance and fear. And it's rooted in, and that's a competitive element there, which is one of the tools of oppression. Um, in addition to that, intolerance is also a tool of oppression. The, the inability to have tolerance for people who have different beliefs and show up in the world in, in ways that are different, you know, than you, you have an intolerance, you know, people have an intolerance to that. I'm seeing a mistrust of human nature. You know, the idea that we now know it's scientific that people are born this way. It's not a choice. You know, the idea of sex, uh, heterosexuality as a standard is also a part of the tools of oppression. And what do we replace those with in terms of tools of indivisibility? Well, again, there's agency, there's consent, there's liberation, there's unconditional love of self and others. There's, all, there's uh, trust, there's tolerance, there's empathy, and there's inclusion. Like all of those tools of indivisibility apply, you know, in this conversation. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. So let's move on to the third and final topic, which is Juneteenth. So the headline from the LA Times reads, T-shirts, ice cream, retailers cash in on Juneteenth. There's backlash. Retailers and marketers have been quick to commemorate Juneteenth with an avalanche of merchandise. But many are getting backlash on social media for what critics say undermines the day, designated as a federal holiday last year to honor the emancipation of enslaved African-Americans. Um, there is a social media post that I would like to read as well. It's super sad that when I wrote to my parent coaching business email list about Juneteenth, I got three times the normal number of unsubscribes. And when I wrote about pride, I got five times the normal number of unsubscribes. So would love to hear your opinion on, you know, how tools of oppression are being used in this case and tools of indivisibility as well. Yeah, like the first thing I want to say is, you know, I know we're we're at the end of the month of June, uh, but happy Pride and and happy Juneteenth. I didn't say that we're touching on both of these topics. So I definitely want to give that affirmation and that acknowledgement. And as you all can see, I'm wearing my pride. I love y'all tea. So, you know, in, in, in support of my LGBTQ plus, you know, family. Um, so with, with thinking about, you know, Juneteenth in general, the complexity of being an uh, American in the United States of America, where as a person of African descent, who's a descendant of enslaved Africans, I grew up celebrating Independence Day as July 4th, which commemorates the independence of the United States of America from Great Britain in 1776. In 1776, my ancestors were still, were still enslaved in this country. But I grew up celebrating that, but I didn't grow up celebrating Juneteenth, you know, which happened long after, you know, almost a hundred years later. Uh, it took almost a hundred years later before my ancestors were actually free independent, you know? 
Um, so it's it's just amazing how history has unfolded in this country and our level of awareness around these things. And when I think about these headlines, uh, you know, with these retailers, um, as well as what was shared on social media, um, again, I, I can summarize both of them, you know, really easily. Um, use thinking about how our conventional framework for communicating in our country is debate. But there is no context. There is no, currently no place where people can go to listen to one another, to learn as the norm, as the standard. You know, um, the standard is when things change in society, there's tension, there's arguing, there's competition. Folks feel like they're losing something when you're trying to make room for inclusivity, et cetera. And then, of course, there's going to be others who are going to look to profit from it because capitalism. So the theory of indivisibility is about, you know, the communication framework of alternate dialogue. And, you know, I wish there was currently uh, a context for a place for people in community that have varying viewpoints because of the ways that we were raised and our differences in culture and the things that we learn to come together, to listen to one another, to understand one another. Instead of consistently having, you know, folks get upset, like with, you know, Sarah's post, how she lost, you know, followers and clients due to her honoring Pride and Juneteenth. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. And I believe with some authentic dialogue and getting an opportunity to hear from people from all sides and teasing out some common ground and talking about, well, what is the, you know, what is the common, you know, um, uh, values that we all share? And again, I, for me, I go back to our country's, uh, you know, statements like our pledge, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So if that's our common ground, that's the starting point for the authentic dialogue, for folks to share their fears, their concerns around what they feel like they're losing in reference to that, that value, those values, uh, statements of value. And then coming together with that process of authentically dialoguing to listen and understand each other deeply. And then from there, you know, coming up with some common ground on how we can move forward so that everyone truly feels that they have the opportunity to pursue liberty and justice within the context of, of us, you know, being a community with one another as a, as a nation at every level, cities, you know, communities, cities, states, etc. So that's what I would say, um, you know, shows up for me there and what I believe, you know, would be the, uh, the tool of oppression being debate while honoring our differences, that's just natural. But how we can shift it to being indivisible is by coming together in different, you know, contexts at every level of community in our in our family. I'll start there in our in our personal relationships and families, in our communities, in our cities, and in our states to have authentic dialogue around these differences so that we can tease out common ground and figure out a way forward where everyone can feel good about, you know, uh, whatever the topic is. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Dialogue podcast. Remember to join our Grow Dialogue community to continue the conversation, activate authentic dialogue, and to get exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. 
Check out our show notes for more info and visit www.growdialogue.com to join our live events. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support.